0: You know, last time I was here, I was talking about honour, and I'm kind of carrying it on. And then actually, later on, I realised I can carry it on again, but that's another story. You'll find out that later in the sermon. But I talked about honouring your father and mother, and James was there, and Emily was there, and you've just got to be a bit careful, haven't you, really? And I do think sometimes um, they perhaps, well, James particularly, perhaps thinks that I actually know a bit more than I do. Because he phoned me up during the healing service, and I, first of all, what a mother am I, I switched him off. That's not good, is it, really? It could have been an emergency. But apparently he then, because I switched him off, phoned his dad. And his dad was at Treats, and at Treats he said, Dad, how do you remove the turmeric stain? Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't know a turmeric if it hit me. But anyway, he's got a turmeric stain. I'm thinking, how does he know it's turmeric? He's obviously been doing cooking. I'm impressed. And apparently, apparently, at church meeting, it was in the minutes about the turmeric stain because Margaret Payton sorted him out who, if you've n- not got a mother who actually knows about these things, or a dad, Margaret Payton's the best bet. So we'll give you her telephone number later on, okay? But anyway, but also, he phoned me up, notwithstanding. He phoned me up about two days ago, and he said, Mum, how do you make soup? And I thought, oh, no, he's got even more confidence in me as a cook. As I said, I didn't really know what turmeric was. I did have, do you know, do you, you have those spice racks where you have it, and turmeric just sat there. It's a bit like that Michael McIntyre thing, turmeric just sat there, I never used it, but anyway, he asked me how to make soup, and I thought, well, uh, James, if I make soup, I go to Asda, and I get a tin opener, or if I'm being really posh, I'll buy a carton, and he said, no, I want to make it homemade, because the Christian Union are coming round, they're doing one of these kind of, what they call grub crawls where they go to a starter, thankfully, at some house, and then a main meal and then a pudding. But he got the start of it, and he said, I want to make soup. I said, right then, James, Google it. That's what you do, Google it. Because, I mean, I have got a recipe book behind my Songs of Fellowship, which I found this week. But anyway, yes, I have got a recipe book, but I actually don't really. It. It's not kind of in my memory, you know, what you do with soup. I said, what you do is you find out what flavor you like, because, I mean, soups are so well, they're particular, aren't they? You know, you might like tomato, mushroom, chicken. I said, Go, Google it for the ingredients. That's the first thing. You need to get ingredients, I said. And then the next thing you need to do is you need to cook it. And i will tell you how to cook it. There's the kind of method of making soup, I said, thinking off the top of my head, um, after having Googled it whilst I was speaking to him on the phone. I said, there's a method. You cook it and then you process it. Do you have a liquidizer or a processor? Um, he said. Now, I don't know about you, they must have made soup before food processors, but to be honest, it didn't say anything about that on the Google. So I said, James, let's go back to plan A, Asda. Asda, I said, get a box, or if you can't afford that, get a tin. And actually, he did do tins. What you do, I said, though, is you get that homemade bread. You know the stuff? Well, not really homemade. You know, and you put it in the oven and it sort of means. And then they think that you might possibly have made the soup. And then you add a little kind of white thing. Diane helped me with this, didn't you? you add a bit of kind of creme fraiche, but she's swimming world, well, so it wouldn't be cream on the top to make it look homemade. Talking of recipes, I did get actually to the point. Danny Silk, who wrote this book, what I read over my sabbatical. You can tell because... It's kind of flicky pages, and I've put post-it notes in it. Actually, on that theme, I dropped water all over my Bible, and it looks really, really, really well-read now, which is a shame, because it's nice and pretty. Anyway, Danny Silk said that in this book, there is a recipe get my point, my link. A recipe for a fresh and healthy and vital church. And to be quite honest, our church is 350 years old. So rather like that man that I saw on the news and he was cycling around about 107, wasn't he? Did you see him? That's amazing. But anyway, when you're 350 years old, you really do need the recipe for health and vitality and life, don't you really? Danny Silk said, the ingredients to the recipe are... A set of beliefs and practices. Churches need to believe in something. Christians need to believe in God, don't they? They also also need to practice what they preach. But then as well as the ingredients, there's also the method. Do you remember when we got to the food processor and gave up? The method for a healthy church, as well as the ingredients of belief and faith and practices, is to combine all of the ingredients into such a way that they make something powerful. It's no good just popping them into a pot. You need to have the method, don't you, to actually to implement those, those ingredients, to actually combine them in a way to create, in our case, a church that has the environment to attract and host the presence of God. We need to be a place where the presence of God wants to be. We need to be a place where the Holy Spirit feels welcome and actually feels that he wants to work in our midst. Danny Silk, partly because he wrote a book with the title, says that environment, that method if you like, is the culture of honour. He says that life flows through honour. If we have a culture, if we have an environment of everybody in the church honouring one another and everybody honouring God, then we have the ingredients and the method in which we can actually grow and which the Holy Spirit will be welcome and want to be active and will bring that life and vitality, however old our church is. In a culture of honour, let's unpick it a little bit, he says we acknowledge who people are and this gives them what they deserve and in turn we receive the gift of who they are in our lives. What he means by that, I guess, is saying that we need to appreciate people for who they are. We need to appreciate people for the gifts that they have. We need to give people the freedom to actually exercise those gifts in the church. And part of our responsibility for that is actually recognising that, recognising that people are all equal of honour. Honour, then, creates life-giving and life-promoting relationships, it says, I mentioned before that last time I talked about honouring mother and father and honouring God. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love God and love our neighbours. And part of that is about honour and respect. That love is crucial. We need that honour to create the right ingredients, to create the right environment for a healthy church. And Edna's reading, the first reading that you're going to bring to us, Edna... Well the only reading you're going to bring to us at now don't panic there for a moment is from 1 John and it talks about it just reiterates that importance of love in the church The
1: reading is from 1 John 4 verses 17 to 21 In this way Love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother.
0: Thank you. I was just thinking about that as I sat down there. Actually, just thinking again about that reading, and, and there are two elements, aren't there? There's the element of um, love, which is important, loving God. And if you if you love God, you are commanded, aren't you, to love your brother and to appreciate them, and your sister as well, and to appreciate them. But then also, it talks about perfect love casting out fear, doesn't it? About the fact that if you're in a loving environment, you're not going to be fearful. And I think sometimes when we talk about this culture of honour, that's part of it, isn't it? If you think, maybe God's calling me to do something, but you're not in a safe and a loving environment, you're perhaps a bit scared of offering. Do you know what I mean? That that, that perhaps you think, I might have this gift, but you need to test out that gift in that loving and safe environment. And I was just thinking about that fear that we shouldn't have fear in the environment of a church, that if actually we do want to kind of step forward into a role, we ought to feel comfortable, and we ought to allow others to feel comfortable to test out their calling, that perfect love of God. It says in that reading that God is perfect and God is love. And key to growing that culture of honour is accurately acknowledging who people are. And we can only do this when we actually begin not only to allow them to work out their identity in God, but also for us to help them to work out their identity in God. Now, that actually requires quite a lot. It's one thing in church to learn people's names. And I would like, I won't do this, but I'd love to be able to test you and say, do you know everybody's name here? That would be. Do you know, I think at my home church, when I was a child, that I I, I knew half the people's names, but I'd been in church for about 18 years, and there were ladies that I didn't know the names of. There weren't many men, because to be honest, there's only about five or six men, so I knew their names, but there were ladies that I didn't know the names of. And don't you think that's appalling? And what we did. to solve this in, in certain situations is when we had social events or something we used to stick labels with people's names on them so primary for me you know, but, but also actually to help people even to know somebody's name part of somebody's identity is knowing their name and I think it's a challenge to us you know, 350 years later to think The first thing is to know somebody's name and perhaps we even do fail with that in church. And when new people come, which is brilliant, you know, it's good to know their names, isn't it? And to learn their names. What's your name? And try and remember it. might as well stick labels on each other. But anyway, also, that's the first stage. But then to get to know them. But the culture of honour is that situation where not only do you know them, whether they're married, whether they've got children, where they live, but also to know something about their gifting with God. Can you not recognise? You can recognise with certain people. Say, for example, somebody who's not here, Kay. Okay, Kay? Sorry, I didn't mean it to sound like that, but but Kay has gone, hasn't she? She's gone to Singapore, and it was really sad, and we had a cake and everything. But I would recognise, and we would all recognise, part of her gifting was pastoral care. She was really caring Really kind. And and she was really the pastoral care, kind of headed up pastoral care as the elder. I know others were involved, but, but the elder who headed up that pastoral care, element, And we miss that, don't we? Because, and I think that's something we really need to focus on, because it's not easy, is it, to actually know people's names, to know people's situations, to know people's challenges and difficulties. And I know that we fail, Andrew and I fail, to do that pastoral care within the church. Certainly we do, because it's not possible. As a church grows, it cannot be the minister who does that exclusively, and it never was meant to be. It then spreads out to the eldership, but yet it spreads further than that. There are, in our congregation, many people who are gifted pastorally who care for people, and I can point them out, but I won't do. Uh, But also, there are other people People, where that gift needs to be grown and developed. Do we know people well enough? And I'm not just saying the pastors, but do we know people well enough to begin to recognize the various and different callings that they may have in their lives? And do we even recognize them in ourselves? We all have names. We all have titles. We are sons, we are daughters, we are perhaps mothers or fathers or, or human beings or Christians. But what actually is our role? What is our identity in Christ? Our, if you like, it says in the Bible about we're all handed a scroll, it says. It's a theme that goes throughout the Bible. And on the scroll is written what we are to do in our lives. On the scroll is written the role and the purpose that God has for us. Do you know what role or what purpose God has for you? It can't be doing everything, by the way. And when I, in a moment, get Derek, no, it's not Derek, it's Malcolm, isn't it, to to bring the reading, um, that talks about particular roles. We can't do them all. But yet, do you know what particular area, and I'll give you some way of helping to work that out, what particular area may be your gift, your calling, and something to do with your identity in Christ? We all have a purpose, and God is no respecter of age. From childhood, rather like that story about the dancing child who motivated people to worship, until the day we die, God continues to have a purpose for our lives. Do you know what your purpose is, and are you walking in it? There are loads of different readings about gifts and about purposes, but the one I want to focus on this morning is from Ephesians because in Ephesians it talks about five specific callings and it talks about how, well it doesn't talk about what I'm saying now, that we need in a living, healthy, vital church actually to have all five of these callings um, functioning and working, not only in the leadership but also perhaps within, will certainly within the congregation. I'd like to invite, um, it's Malcolm I think, to bring us the Ephesians reading. Thank you.
2: grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work.
0: So in that reading, it talks about the importance of those five-fold anointings, those five different specific roles. Now, if you're like me, or, well, perhaps like me before I read a bit more about it, you might think, well, actually, what are those five different roles? What on earth is an apostle, you might say? And that's where I think I could see a five-series sermon coming on, okay? And I think I might just do that, okay, so, so we'll see. But anyway, perhaps talk to the worship committee. Anyway, but I just thought I'd give you a little bit of a taster, okay? I'm going to give you a description of those five-fold callings, and it's a description, which I think is brilliant, out of Danny Silk's book, which will help you to think, which one of these do I most identify with? Because I'm not saying that all of you should be, you know, sort of an evangelist with a big E. I think everybody needs to be an evangelist in a small way, as it were, or even a big way. But I'm just saying that some people have a particular call or a particular kind of leaning towards one of these five-fold anointings. Listen to this, reflect, and think, hmm, perhaps that's me. Danny Silk speaking now. I think I can best introduce the attributes of the fivefold anointings by describing what might happen if they all arrive together at the scene of a car accident. The pastor is the first one out of the car. He scrambles to assess the situation and begins a triage approach applying first aid to the injured victims. He gathers blankets, jackets, water, and anything else he can find to try and comfort them. He surveys the situation to see if anything is threatening the safety both of those who are receiving care and those who've been drawn to the scene of the accident. He talks with each person to find out his or her name, marital status, and whether he or she has children. He gathers vital signs information and any available emergency contact information in order to help the emergency response team when they arrive. He brings a sense of calm to the situation, and each person there feels a genuine feeling of care and connection to the pastor. He wonders whether he should have been a doctor. Maybe there are things in that scenario that you can see that link with you. Maybe God is calling you to pastoral care the teacher the teacher is next on the scene he studies the situation in order to figure out what caused the accident he steps back notices the patterns of the skid marks and the distance each car moved before and after the impact and estimates the speed of each car at the point of impact Drawing from his deep knowledge of the driver's manual and traffic laws, he develops a theory about who was at fault. His conclusion is that, overall, drivers need more training and would be most likely to benefit from mandatory classes and continuing educational requirements. Maybe. I said that I said that in kind of a jokey voice, but actually we do need teachers, don't we? We need people to, to draw on the word of God and to dig out the detail and to really... I'm thinking of people who've done that with me and asked me questions upon questions. I'm going, well, I don't really know, you know, because different people have different emphasis. Pe- different people really need to dig out stuff, and that is the teacher. Maybe that's something that you really feel called to. Each church, every church, needs Its teachers. The evangelist arrives on the scene and asks everyone lying in a safe, comfortable place, thanks to the pastor, if you were to die as a result of your injuries, do you know where you would go, heaven or hell? He then notices a large gathering of bystanders and people in their cars who've pulled over to watch. He begins to address the large crowd with the same question. There is no guarantee you will make it home safely. Do you know where you would go? People give their hearts to the Lord right there on the side of the road. He explains to all those new believers that the greatest gift you can ever give to someone else is the gift of salvation. He trains them to lead others to Christ, prays for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to come upon them, and afterwards he says, This was great. And decides to go and purchase a police scanner when he goes back to town. Again, do you feel that kind of heart for people to to share the gospel with them? To actually say, do you know where you go, where you will die? Perhaps it's a little bit of a caricature, but there are people who have. And it's vital to the church, people who have that desire to draw people into the faith. To draw people to God. The prophet. He knew this was going to happen because he'd had a dream about it on the previous night. Because everybody in the dream had survived the accident, he rebukes the spirit of death and declares with great faith and unction that all shall live and none shall die. He also proclaims that there are angels surrounding the scene of the accident and prays that the eyes of all the people's hearts will be open to see in the spirit then he walks around and starts to call the destiny out in various people. He releases a spirit of revelation within the group and finally quite naturally begins to ask around and to find out who's in charge of the scene. When he discovers the one in charge, he discerns whether it's God's chosen leader or not. Or if he finds that no one in charge, he appoints a leader. The prophet speaking out for God. Not always a very popular person, but somebody who speaks what God wants him to say. Somebody who perhaps needs that confidence in God, that Holy Spirit, to bring him to that point of sharing, or her to that point of sharing, the Word of God. And we need prophets. We said in that last song, didn't we? We need prophets. The church needs prophets to speak out the Word of God and to show them the direction in which God is going. And indeed, to recognise leadership and to appoint leaders. The Apostle, the final person at the scene. The Apostle prays for the injured. He invites the supernatural healing touch of God into the scene. He begins to tell testimonies of when he had been in the scene of car accidents and witnessed the power of God manifest itself in those situations. The faith level of the people begins to rise then he asks if anyone can feel heat in his own hands. He puts those who raise their hands to work praying for others to be healed. He demonstrates all who are near at the kingdom of heaven, demonstrates to all who are near that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He then opens a school for those who arrive at the car accident scenes and sends them all over the world to do signs and wonders. Danny Silk concludes, hopefully this scenario displays the reality that each anointing is also a mindset each anointing determines how a person will see various circumstances and situations and as a result make different circumstances and solutions available and applicable to the same situation no anointing no role is more important or more correct they are simply god's gifts to his church to help bring heaven's perspective To earth. I don't know as we look through that list of apostles, people who do new things for God, prophets who speak out God's word, evangelists who draw people into the kingdom, pastors who care, and teachers who dig deep and try and share that learning with others. I don't know if any of those particular roles are things that you feel, yes, that's the way in which I feel God. Maybe calling me. It's important for a living and a vibrant church to actually have all of those anointings. But also, as you think of those anointings, and this is perhaps the next part of the series, you can see within them strengths and weaknesses. You can see, for example, a pastor. It's wonderful, isn't it, to actually care for people and want to kind of love them and hug them. But if the only leader in a church is a pastor, there would be no looking out, would there? They would just be appointing somebody to kind of care for the ongoing situation within that group, which is a vital thing to do, but yet within the leadership team, you also need apostles, you need prophets, you need evangelists to go out and draw people into that faith community to add that vitality and life. No single gift is enough in a leadership team and in a church. All of the roles are important. Without the complete and mature expression of these roles in a church, the people of God are not going to be adequately prepared to contain what God is pouring out and release it into the world around. So if we ask you know, that God's Holy Spirit will pour on this place, unless we've got that structure of leadership, unless we've got those gifts within our church growing within our church, we're not equipped to actually deal with it. We're not equipped to actually be active and functional and moving out into the world as a lively and vibrant church. So where do we start? We need to start as a church in honouring one another. We need to prayerfully begin to get to know one another in a deeper way. To recognise and to grow the giftings, even of the people who come here today for the first time. And through the Holy Spirit, to release them into their unique identity and destiny in Christ. That way, the believer can begin to understand their own significance their importance to that whole body it talks doesn't it in that passage about the whole body joined together and there's passages throughout the bible in corinthians as well about the whole body being joined together as and and ligaments all being supported one another to move forward we need to actually have that growth and that acknowledgement and that development and that discipleship in the church So the beginner, the believer can really begin to believe that they can carry something that no one else carries. To believe that they must develop and release their gifts to the church and to the world so that they can do their part in bringing heaven to earth. He gives a picture, and this is part of the presentation I never finished. He did a picture, Danny Silk, of saying it's like having a funnel And he said that there is a funnel, if you like, from heaven down to earth, and to actually create that funnel, the bolts to get that funnel together, actually you need to have a culture of honour, because you need the evangelists to draw people in, you need the apostles to actually do new stuff, you need the prophets to speak out for God, you need the pastors to care for those who are hurting, and you need to actually have... You need to have that network growing together to make that funnel so that God's Holy Spirit can come down, impact us and move out. I'll finish with an illustration and then we'll perhaps just spend a little time in prayer. When I was preparing this talk, I said to Andrew, which one am I then? (laughs) Because it's often good, isn't it, to ask somebody else. And he said, you're the prophet one, he said, I think, because <laughs> you say stuff. <laughs> and, and I mean, therefore, I mean, not I do have a pastoral side and I do care for people and things. But, but when you think, normally everybody has one that they focus on. And Andrew said, what one am I? And I said, you think he's probably, and again, neither of us are perfect in it. I've already said that we fail in all of the areas and many times and, and we can't do it all he said, I think I'm more pastorally kind of gifted, in the sense that, you know, I, I do kind of follow that pastoral care through, but often I fail. So I was thinking, when he went out on Saturday for a day, I thought, right, I'm going to have to do this prophetic thing. I'm going to have to pray for him, because he was going out to lead a day down in Northampton, a day, and it's called an Ignite Day, and some of you will have heard of the fact that we do these. Going to a church and praying for that funnel, if you like. That renewing, that releasing of the Holy Spirit into the church that he's at. And this church, there was one lady in this church who'd been praying for 35 years that this would happen. No pressure. Don't you think that would be really quite scary? Andrew goes along, and he, he, he phoned me the night before. He said, do you know, they're all expecting it to be so wonderful. And he said, they've been praying for this day, that this would happen. I said, don't panic, I'll pray. Anyway, so, so I was praying for him. And I got up quite un, uncharacteristically early on Saturday morning. And, and I got up early and I was praying for him. And I was given a couple of passages from the Bible. I thought, I'm going to do my prophetic thing. I'm going to pray for him. And, and I got given passages from the Bible. There's like these three passages. And, and at the end, well, I was praying for him all day. And then at the end of the day, he texted me. He said, it went really well. Those passages were good. Because at the beginning, he, he offered... That word to the people, and several people, because God's Holy Spirit had given that word to me, several people were blessed by that word. But then it was the way that Andrew did the day, to be honest, because he'd have done it in a gentle way. And I think the congregation at that church, half of them were really scared. Some stayed away because they were so scared, but then the other half of them were really, really keen that everything would be so. John Wimber would come, and everything would be fantastic, and you know, there'd be fireworks and everything. But Andrew kind of led that day in the pastorally careful, careful, pastorally caring way that he would do that gentle way. But yet, at the end of the day, God really did break through, and there was tears, and there was just joy, and there was a real presence of God to create the presence of God, people need to work as a team. People need to use the gifts that God's calling them to use. And that's just one illustration of the pastoral and and the word from God coming together and releasing the power of the Holy Spirit in that place. And that's something that we need to continue to do. We need to get to know one another, to recognize each other's giftings, and to look for the giftings in each one of us so that we can allow God's Holy Spirit to be released into this place so this is church is good and lively and healthy and fresh for the next 350 years or until jesus comes again let us pray we thank you lord for your gifting we thank you lord for your equipping And we thank you, Lord, for the way in which you touch us from the inside and inspire us to dance, to cooperate with your Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord, today that maybe there'll be a series, that's up to you. But whether we feel that leaning towards pastoring, teaching, evangelism, prophecy, or doing those apostolic new things for you. Whether we feel guided to works of hospitality, works of mercy, works of of giving, whatever the gift is that you're calling us to do, Lord, we pray that you will help us because you know our name. You know every hair on our head. You know what you've written on our scroll. Help us to read it. Help us to recognize it. Help us to know the mind of our creator. And help us to get up and dance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.